Um, a couple of things I do want to point out specifically on your worship flyer just to make sure um, that you don't miss it. Um, the first one is August 6th, we're having a baptism service. And it's going to be more than just a, a baptism service. It's something that I really, I'm really excited that we're doing. It's going to be out uh, it's here at Ralston High School, but on the front lawn or front patio or whatever you want to call it. Um, we're going to set up everything there and we're going to worship and we're going to hear some amazing testimonies of things that God has done or is doing in people's lives, watch some people go underwater. Um, we're going to eat together. We're going to have like fun stuff for kids and just hang out and celebrate essentially what God is up to. So if you have never been in adulthood baptized, um, this is something that we want for you. Um, and if you have questions about what that is or have a strange history with baptism or maybe think you already did but you're not really sure, then then maybe just talk to me because it's something that's, that can be a really exciting experience. Um, and so we want as many people to experience it as absolutely possible. Um, it's a powerful thing to hear people's stories, connect with them, um, and, let, and, and allow us to kind of enter into those stories and be part of what God is doing. That's one of the coolest things about being a church family. The second thing is, um, you'll notice on your worship flyer, and if you weren't with us, uh, I guess it wasn't last weekend because we weren't here, but the weekend before, um, the results of our candidacy weekend with our, uh, with our friend Kevin Andres um, were amazing. It was really fun to see God kind of unify hearts. And officially, you can see on your worship flyer that he starts here officially Monday, September 11th. Um, and his first time preaching here will be, as our new senior pastor, will be um, the 17th of September. So cool things are going on. There's a lot, a lot of exciting things happening. And, and it's summer, and so it's, at times it feels like, man, the whole world is out of town. And we totally understand that, but it's exciting still to be here. Um, and connect with what God is up to, what he's doing. And so I just want to say I'm glad you're here. I'm excited about what the next four weeks mean for Finding Life. About um, four months ago, three months ago, um, I started kind of laying out what I wanted this summer to be like. And I, and I came up with this idea for a series that was about um, like developing habits in our lives that could, that could set us up to experience God in unique ways. Um, I hate the word habit because the word habit makes me feel guilty. It makes me feel like I'm doing something wrong or, or, or like forcing myself to do something I don't want to do. Creating habits for me just has always had a negative connotation. So I like named it something else instead. I like to use, to use the word rhythm. Uh, and more importantly than that, habits naturally makes us think about behavior, which behavior is important. We've talked about that a ton. But ultimately, our hearts are what matter most in God's economy. So I came up with this series title called Heart Rhythms. There it is. Um, and basically, this series that we're starting today is a series all about um, developing rhythms of life um, that impact our hearts in a way that draw us closer to Jesus and align our steps more with his. And so that's what the next four weeks are going to be about. What I'm most excited, I think, about this series is that you're going to get to hear some practical things from each member of our teaching team about things that they have cultivated in their lives, rhythms that they've cultivated in their lives that have naturally created space for them to draw close to closer to their Savior, and allow him to do a work in their hearts that was transformational, life-changing, catalyzing for the future. Um, and so that's what this series is all about. And so our hope is that we can maybe inspire you a little bit to connect with, like, what does God want to do in you? What are some things that you can begin cultivating now in your own life, some rhythms of life that will set you up to not feel disconnected from God, to experience his power in your life, and more than that, set you up to be, uh, to have an impact in the people in the world, in the lives that are all around you, all around us, all the time. Um, in June, we enjoyed a series called Gathered, in which we discussed the idea of prioritizing the community of believers for the sake of having greater impact in our world, in our community, in our lives. We talked about how powerful it is when people come together and the potential they have 
uh, when God's people come together and love each other really, really well. And this is sort of on the tail end of that. What can I do personally to begin cultivating a lifestyle that will naturally have impact flow out of it? And I don't know if that's something um, that gets you excited, but it's something that I long for. It's something that I long to see. When I pray for you, when I dream about the future of finding life, when I dream about you as an individual, and what I see God doing, it has nothing to do with you coming to church and sitting in rows or even singing, lifting your hands. I mean, those maybe are indicators of something God is doing in your heart. But I want to see you become a fully developed follower of Jesus who makes disciples. That's what the church ultimately exists for. You have so much more to offer than you realize. And your butt sitting in the seat is, is maybe just the beginning of something so much better than that. And so as I prayed about this, um, and as my like tenure at Finding Life begins to like wrap up, uh, more and more it becomes this like the things that I'm teaching about are things that are, are, are shifting because of the way that I feel about all of you and what I long to see happen in the future of Finding Life. And so this series, as it's nears, I've gotten more and more excited with a rhythm or a lifestyle choice that I want to call intentionality. The point, the, the point of my not only stay disconnected from God, but we will gradually either moving forward into him or we are probably moving away from him and what his desire for our lives are. I want to frame this whole thing up um, from Ephesians chapter 4. And it's this, this picture of the church or God's heart, his desire for what the church should look like, what it should feel like, what should be like the, the impact of it, what should come out of it, and how he set it up to do exactly that. Within these few verses, we get a whole bunch of amazing like, glimpses into the heart of God for what he wants to be the result of his gathered people, of his church coming together. It starts, it starts in verse 11 saying this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to his church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. He begins by talking about how good we could be together if we recognize our uniqueness, right? We talked about that a ton in our Gathered series. We together collectively, only collectively, live up to the fullness of Christ. In other words, together we can be the fullness of Jesus, everything that he ever did, everything he was. You can't do it on your own. You need the person next to you, the people in this room, to be that. And it's cool. But then he goes on in verse 14. He says, there, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Connect what Paul is with what Paul is trying to say here. You were set. You were set on the mission of Jesus so that you could continually grow into everything he's called us to be. In other words, grow up, Paul's saying. Like, grow up. It's time. And I imagine Paul, like, like um, if you think about a, a, a parent or a couple of parents, maybe you've experienced this, whose, like, 35-year-old son is still living in their basement, and they're just like, grow up. Go get a job. Do something. We didn't, we didn't have you so that you could, sit, like, sit around and play video games all day. Right? And gradually over the course, you know, 18 hits, it's like, all right, it's okay. 
They'll get there, still playing video games. 20, still playing video games in the basement. 20, not that video games are bad. Okay, that's not my point at all. No job, no life, not growing up, never takes a shower, doesn't realize that like, there's a disconnect between me and what I'm supposed to be in the world. It's time to grow up. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, if the church is going to have any impact in the world like I intended, then you've got to grow up. It's time. It's time to own that. Because the church can't be what it needs to be unless everybody chooses to step into a lifestyle that's constantly putting ourselves, bearing our hearts and our souls before God and saying, what needs to change? What needs to be different? How do you want to work on my life? What about my life doesn't quite align with Jesus? See, it's like the goal of our faith. Let me read it again in verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature children, tossed and blown about by every wind of teaching, not influenced when people try to trick us with, with clever, um, clever things that sound like the truth. Instead, Christ, who is the head of the church, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other part grow. I can't grow if you don't grow. You can't grow if I don't grow. There's so much dependent on this. The church is rendered useless when its people, its body, the people that make it up are simply settling for something less. And I wonder often if we settled. We view faith as a destination, right? We pray a prayer. We say yes to Jesus. We give our lives to Christ. We get baptized. Boom, we're done. And we settle in. We get comfortable. We cement some ways of thinking about faith in our, in our hearts and minds that work for us. And we put God in a box and we stay complacent for the rest of our lives. And Paul's saying, no, no, that cannot happen. The church suffers when we do that. The big question for us in this series is, am I growing in my faith? Is God changing me? Am I becoming more mature, more like him? More like him. That's the goal, ultimately. In the spring of 2006, I got a call from my brother. Um, this was a long time ago. Um, I got a call from my brother, and, and, and he said, hey, you want to run a marathon with me? And I... Um, my first thought, like, if you know me, like, I hate to run. I do like all the fitness stuff, but I hate running. I'm terrible at it. It hurts me. I've always been that way. And my brother was, like, cross-country superstar. Like, he can run and run and run and never, ever get tired. So naturally, when he called me, my first instinct was, I don't want to run with you. But then the little brother in me said, there's no way I can back down from a challenge from my older brother. So I said, yeah, um, I'll run a marathon, not really having any idea what that meant. And so as soon as I did, I jumped online. I'm like, okay, I got it ready for this marathon. What is this going to look like? How do I get myself to the point where I can run 26 miles? That's crazy that anyone would do that ever. Um, so I'm looking and, and, and I start looking at like, um, like roadmaps or, or like training programs. And, and the first thing I notice is how long they are. Like they're all like a year long. And my first thought is, like, I don't want to run for an entire year to prepare for this. I just want to be ready now. I want to be ready to run now. And so I started, like, looking at all these plans and, like, how can I squeeze this down in, like, four months? I start doing math with, like, how many miles a week I'm going to be running by the time the race comes. Like, there's no way I don't want to do this. Can I synchronize or make this more simple so I run less miles? And you all know where this leads. Like, when you try to force when you try to get somewhere without putting in the time or the work or the effort, what happens? I hurt myself, right? 
I went out there like I was a 22-year-old kid, like I could just go run eight miles. And the first time I did that, it almost killed me until I began to settle in and realize, man, this is a process. This is a journey that's going to take time, and I have to be patient, but i got to keep taking steps. i got to get up at 5 a.m. because that's the coolest part of the day in the middle of June, right? And i got to walk out the door and be hit by this, like, cloud of, uh, of like moisture in the air and it's like 90 degrees at 5 a.m. and I just got to like start running. And at first it has to be slow. Um, and I got to be careful. I got to listen to my, my, my body and make sure it doesn't break down. But I got to keep taking steps. I got to get out there every single morning and make the choice. If I don't, I will never get where I want to be. And that's the point that I want to make this morning. That's life with God. That is the faith journey. It's like a marathon. It's like training for a marathon. See, God wants to do something in your heart. He wants to do something in your life. But I'm convinced that most of us have gotten to the point where we don't have any idea who we want to be or who God wants us to be. We want to be there now or we don't want to have to put in any work. And so we just sort of glide along in this sort of pathetic, sad, complacent place where we never experience the power of God in our lives. We never experience the power of impact in the lives of others. And we're just kind of doing life. That leads us places we don't want to be. And so our truth for this morning is a journey requires intentional steps. And that's how I want to frame up this entire series this morning, in the context of intentionality. What does it look like to start a journey and walk with God in it, listening to him, obeying him, whether we want to or not, seeking his heart so we can better align our steps with his. That's what this is about. And, and in the coming weeks, we're going to have Travis and Courtney and Mallory share with us things that they have done to intentionally cultivate intimacy with Jesus into their lives. And it's awesome stuff. And you can do it too. But it starts with recognizing that the whole thing is a journey. The whole thing is a process. I've been a Christian my entire life. Um, but until I learned that life with God is not about a destination, but it's about the process and the journey. I never experienced his power in my life. I, I never would have identified myself as a person whose life was marked by passion for the kingdom, intimacy with the king. But when I was in, introduced to this idea of intentionality, it changed everything for me. See, God wants your heart every single day. And the only way that it happens if you choose to give it to him moment by moment. Yes, he's coming after you. Yes, he will pursue you. Yes, he will whisper into your ear and try to wake you up. But unless you choose intentionality, you will never experience life the way he designed for you to experience it. So I've got a few things there on your outline if you want to follow along that I see like marks a journey that has a chance to experience the power of God in their life and grow in maturity in their faith, aligning their steps with Jesus. Remember, that's the point. Right? Measuring up to the fullness of Christ. Aligning our steps with Jesus. That's our target. It's great to set a target we know we can never attain. Right? It forces us to love the, love the process. Embrace the journey. So number one on your outline, a powerful journey always keeps one eye on the past. What has God done in you, for you, with you? Is that something you ever think about? A lot of times we enter into faith with God and, and what we really want is to sort of like put away the past. And I think a lot of ways, like the truth of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus tells us, yeah, the old is gone, right? New things have come. 
But there's something that happens when God transforms our lives and, and rescues us from our mess and exchanges our brokenness for his righteousness in our lives. That's a powerful thing that happens, and we can't live in that power unless we constantly keep an eye on the past. Listen to Psalm chapter 40. This is David doing this very thing, right? David, King David, a man after God's own heart. Few people walked in intimacy with Jesus like this man did. Listen to him, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. What I love about this is that this is David reflecting. He's not, this isn't currently happening in his life. He's reflecting on the past, on what God had done for him, in him, how God had rescued him from the mire, right, and set his feet on solid ground. He's reflecting on the power of God's grace in his life. And more than that, he's reflecting on the reality, reminding himself that it is, it is remembering that life change, the grace applied to brokenness. That's the testimony that draws other people to him. It's our brokenness. It always has been, right? Many will see what he has done in me. Many will see what he has done and be amazed, and they will put their trust in the Lord. When you, when you live your life out loud with God, is it all about you and how great you are? Or is it all about what God has done in your life? I want to be a person who reflects regularly on the power of God's grace applied to my brokenness and my sin. I want to remember that. An authentic journey with God requires that we look back. What is your mire? What is your pit? What is the new song that God has given you to sing? Reminding myself of where I came, keeps, came from, keeps me from ever taking it for granted. Um, one of the movies that has always seemed to regularly find its way onto the television in, in the Brower household is the movie Annie. My wife loves the movie Annie, and so she's like instilled that into all of our kids. If you don't know the story, it's like takes place in the Depression time. Right? So there's, everybody's poor except like a few people. And so Daddy Warbucks is a billionaire who, who for the Christmas season wants to adopt a, an orphan because it makes him look good in the newspaper. Right? So his assistant goes and picks one out. Her name is Annie. Um, she lives in this terrible environment with this terrible woman, Miss Hannigan, whatever, that makes him clean all day long and treats him like garbage. So she, the, the, my favorite scene is when she first brings, this assistant brings her into this mansion. Right, Daddy Warbucks Mansion, and she's telling her about all the things that she can do via song. I'm not going to sing it for you, but all the, there's a tennis court and there's a pool and and this king size bed for her to sleep in, all this kind of stuff. And, and as soon as the song ends, she says, "What do you want to do first? And, and Annie says, "Looks around and she goes, I, I think I'll do the floors, and then maybe I'll maybe I'll do the staircase and." And then I'll wash the ceiling. And then how about the windows? And they stop her and they go, hey, you don't have to do any work here. No, you're a guest here. You don't have to do any work. I love the picture that this gives us. She remembers where she came from so much that she doesn't even know she's like, like worth anything more than what she's been told all of her life. And it's in that context that the power of grace, right, she didn't deserve to be in this house. She hadn't earned it, the right to be a guest in Daddy Warbucks' mansion. 
but she remembered who she was, and that made the thrill, like her face lights up when she says, you don't have to do any work here, you are our guest. Are we, do we recognize where we came from? So much so that, it, that every day we're, we're, we're in awe of what Jesus has chosen to do in our lives. Chosen to give us, or is it old hat? We don't really care anymore. Just kind of is what it is. Oh yeah, grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Sing it every once in a while. Or we like Annie that finds out again over and over every day, I can't believe I live here. I can't believe I get to experience this. I can't believe the God of the universe loves me that much. This is what it means to be on a powerful, authentic journey. Number two, a journey has to have a desired destination. Do you know what God wants to do with you? Do you ever think about it, dream about it, wonder? If not, does that mean you're content with where you are? I think that's a really important question. Max Lucado um, says, God, God loves you just as you are, but loves you too much to leave you that way. I think oftentimes we enter into a relationship with Jesus and think that that is the destination we're after, and we're done. Yes, God saved you and loves you and welcomes you, accepts you exactly the way you are, but he has no desire to see you stay the way you are. If you're the same person in a year, same struggles, um, same, uh, same you know, selfishness, that doesn't please the heart of God. No, he wants to work on you. He wants to make you better. He wants to make you um, mold you, shape you into, into his likeness. And he won't quit until he does. And, and so you got to ask yourself that question. i got to ask myself that question every day. Have I accepted where I'm at and grown content, complacent? We've accepted a lot of God's good gifts wholeheartedly and chosen to conveniently ignore the fact that life with God is an ongoing process of stripping away every desire of the flesh, everything that feels good, and instead running towards what is hard, uncomfortable, and radical because the gospel is urgent. Discipleship is hard. It's supposed to be. If the desired destination of your faith is where you currently are or the path of least resistance, you are not living an authentic Jesus-centered faith. In fact, your faith is probably not in him, it's probably in yourself. These are harsh realities for us to come face to face with. Um, having a desired destination is simple. It's looking, acting, and sounding like Jesus. It's like we heard in Ephesians chapter 4, measuring up to the fullness of Christ, aligning our steps with him. So then that means daily looking in the mirror. Daily reflecting on the person of Christ and asking ourselves, does my heart look like his? Do my words sound like his? Does my life? Reflect what he cares about. What about you doesn't look like Jesus? It's okay. God's grace is sufficient. But God wants to make your life look like Jesus. And he wants to give you a desire to sense that as well. Number three, a journey is as much about the ride as it is the arrival. Um, you aren't here to arrive. In fact, on this side of heaven, you will never arrive, which means there has to be some measure of contentment with your own incompleteness. Like we say this all the time, one of our core values here is graciousness, and we're like seriously passionate about this. Our tagline for it is, none of, us, none of us has arrived. As we've received grace, we give it away. We're like dead serious about that. And we live in a world that is obsessed with climbing ladders and measuring success and winning. But there's no winning, there's no winning at faith. 
There is no winning. There's no climbing a ladder. Winning is enjoying the ride, embracing your brokenness, and watching God shape you moment by moment, day by day. That's where the power lies. That's what makes the faith journey so great. I'm going to go back to David. This is him again, and I want you to hear his process, his, his contentment with the ongoing shaping of him. He's not really worried about arriving. He's worried about God, like staying before the throne of God or the feet of God and allowing him to shape his heart. Listen to him kind of plead with God and ask yourself, have I ever like asked for anything? Have I ever prayed to God like this before? Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my own rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I've sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what, in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. Teaching me wisdom even there. Purify my heart. Purify me from my sins. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a, a right spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore in me the joy of, of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. There's so many incredibly cool nuances in David's like prayer, his heart towards God, what he wants, what he's asking for, what he's longing for. He, first, he just recognizes that, that he's broken and undeserving of anything. But he also is recognizing that God is a God who wants to change hearts. So he reminds God of that. Really, he's reminding himself that you're a God that can change me. You're a God that can forgive me, blot out my stains, make me white as snow. So he's pleading with God to do it. And it goes back to recognizing he doesn't deserve it. And then pleads with God to do it again. This is the heart that God wants us to come to him in. This is the posture of a person who's on an authentic journey with him, who's enjoying the ride, who's recognizing that there's no arrival point. It's just about sitting in the presence of God and allowing him to change us. If nothing else this week, I would challenge you to go back to Psalm chapter 51, to this passage, and compare David's heart with your own. When you pray, when you ask God for things, is it stuff like this? Is it with this posture, with that kind of humility? Or are your prayers kind of at the center of you and what you want? What's not easy about your life? 17 years ago, I married my wife and I committed myself to getting better every single day at being a husband. I said that to her and I longed for it to be true. And last night I was just like a huge jerk, huge. Um, we fought, it was my fault. Um, in a way that, like, it's something that I never want to be to her. And I'm the one who went to bed and left her downstairs. I was a jerk. And I woke up this morning and um, super early to finish up some stuff on, on, this, on this message. And, and I was, like, I, I couldn't concentrate on anything because God is just, like, just taking me behind the woodshed. Saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to even be here, it, like, preparing a sermon like, make this right. 17 years, I should be better at this than I am. 
right? And sometimes I just want to be there already. I just want to be done. I don't want to be broken anymore. I want to make all the right decisions all the time so it doesn't make more mess from my life than already is. But guess what? It's not the way it goes. We will forever be broken. And God took me to to Psalm chapter 51. He said, "This this is the spirit I want you to have before your wife, before me in the midst of your failure. Yeah, you're going to fail. Your failure is okay. It doesn't, like, it's okay. It doesn't bother me that much. As long as you embrace this journey and choose to be humble and allow me to continue to work on you, and I will. I, I will. The truth is, he who is begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That is a reminder to us that we are always a work in progress. The only way we can allow God to keep working on us and changing us is if we truly want him to. And a lot of times that's hard. It's painful. And we want to run away from it. This is life and faith. It's giving ourselves to the journey, recognizing this journey is as important as anything else. Because in those moments, this morning, I met God in a way that I haven't in a really long time. In a way that I really needed to be met. And it's going to change me for the rest of my life. And I'm thankful for that. It comes in the context of pain, struggle, failure. That's what God uses to transform our lives. Number four, a journey requires intentional steps. And this is where I want to land this plane. Um, If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to see it in your own Bible or on your phone, whatever. Um, Deuteronomy chapter six, something about like pulling it out, turning there, maybe allows you uniquely to be able to come back to it later. I don't know how often you all read in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, I'm not necessarily like recommending you just dive in um, because it's hard, but there's some amazing stuff in there. So if you really want to, I'd be more than happy to like help you through it. Um, but Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a passage that, that has changed my life forever. And it's all about this idea of intentionality. It's all about learning, to, learning what it looks like or what it means to allow God to shape me on a moment-by-moment basis every single day, transforming me more and more closely aligned to him and what he wants, to care about the things that matter to him. And it starts in verse 6 with like, keep in mind, this is, this, is, uh, this is God talking to his people, the Israelites, and he's basically telling them, this is what I want for you. This is what I want to happen for you. And he lays out this vision, I'm going to give you um, this land, and I'm going I'm to make you like, I'm going to make you the most blessed people on the planet. All you have to do is be my people so that I can be your God. And here's what it means to be my people. Just like, like live into what I've asked you to do for your own good, your own safety, to prosper you, to further you, all of that. So he lays that out and he comes to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and he says this, starting in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. Okay, this is Moses, right? God talking through Moses to these people. That you might do them in the land where you are going to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Okay, understand, if you choose to do what I say, your life's going to be prolonged. Everything he's saying is, like, I think sometimes we read this stuff and we're like, geez, God, that's harsh. Why so many rules, commands? He's just saying, if he didn't, he wouldn't love us, right? He's setting them up to be successful, for their lives to be blessed, for them to be powerful, And so he's setting these guidelines just so that they can experience life the way he intended it, which is perfect. 
And we get to, to, we get to verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I'm, comm- I'm commanding you today, these words, all the, he just got done giving them all like, Ten Commandments, right? This is how to live. This is what you're supposed to do. The law, all that kind of stuff. These words then, this is what he's referring to. These words which I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. Heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. And shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. And on your gates. What is Moses pleading with with God's people to do? Like soak in the truth of God's word. With the very fabric of their existence. To not just have rules. But to like like lay down in a pool of of his commandments. And allow it to just soak in and become so saturated. Saturated with, with the laws of God that you fall in love with them and, and you become like, where do I end and where does it begin? And he makes it really clear how this happens. Okay? And, and it's in verse 5. Verse 6, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. It's where it begins and ends. It has to be the heart. And we can read a bunch of rules and know them, but it won't change us. It's when it gets to our hearts that everything changes. How does our heart change? Our heart changes when we, when we saturate ourselves in his truth. We talk about it when we get up. We talk about it to our kids when we sit down, when we, when we lie down, when we stand up, when we walk by the way. Write it on the doorposts of your heart. Write it on your gates. Write it on your house. In other words, do whatever it takes to get this stuff into your heart because the only way you're going to be changed is if it penetrates your heart. I think there's a lot of Christians that know what God wants and very, very few that have allowed his his powerful truth, his gospel to penetrate their hearts in a way that changes them forever. That's what God's after. God has given us commands and decrees to people who want to be his. Those commands and decrees exist so that you can experience real life, right? Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you future and hope. He's got these plans, but the only way that we can experience life the way he intended is when we choose. We choose to daily, even moment by moment, saturate ourselves in his truth and allow it to penetrate our hearts in a way that changes us forever. This is God's heart for you. It can only be claimed in the context of an intentional faith journey. It can only be yours in the context of real and authentic pursuit of him. These commandments are meaningless if they don't find their way into our hearts. You have to be intentional if they will ever make it there. That's what this is about. I want to have the worship team come back up. Um, This is where I want to kind of like wrap up. We have to be intentional. I started with it, right? It's our truth this morning. Uh, a faith journey requires intentional steps. And this is what sets the tone for the rest of our series. But it has to begin with recognizing that only you, only you can choose to allow this to become real for your life. I can't choose it for you. Man, I want it for you. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. It's a daily struggle for me. 
But about 12 years ago, 2005, when we moved to Ashland, Nebraska um, to plant Riverview Community Church, um, I was introduced to this concept, this moment-by-moment faith. And until that time, I struggled a lot, off and on, um, with sort of like the Sunday, the Sunday faith, you know, like go to church, go to conferences, go to camps, go to whatever, like that gets you excited about God, worship, whatever. But I was introduced to the idea of that, that God's, God, God wants my heart moment by moment every single day, and I can live my life with him all the time. And I started creating life heart rhythms of intentionality that allowed me to, to connect with God in the, while I'm making coffee, while I'm sitting at a stoplight. And it's the everyday moments of life when God begins to change our hearts. This is what Deuteronomy chapter 6 is talking about. Intentionality. So the big question is, what are you doing or not doing? What does God want to do with you? And what do you need to do to begin taking active steps? What heart rhythms could you cultivate in your life to make you more aware of God's presence every single day? To, to create more access, more of your heart accessible to the God of the universe, to change it from the inside out. To create awareness, understanding, clarity. What do you need to write on, the, on your doorposts and on your gates? What does God want to write on your heart? Let's pray. God, thanks for being here. Um, thanks for wanting us <laughs> like this. The patience that you have for us is just, it's sort of like mind-blowing. But eventually, at some point, each one of us has to choose to look in the mirror, look at our lives, look at the life of Jesus and and, and ask ourselves why the gap is there and what, what do you want to do? How might I align my steps better with yours? So give us David's heart that we wake up every single morning and say, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore in me the joy of your salvation. Because people who wake up and, and plead for your presence, even if it's hard, who look forward to your careful instruction on our lives, who, who deeply fall in love with your, with your law, with your commandments, because life they will add, days they will add. Help us to see it and know it and live in it. That we might experience your grace like we never have before. Because only in this context, David, King David, experienced your grace like no human being ever has. And it's because he was committed to living intentionally before you in every condition, no matter what he did. Give us hearts, make us people who are willing, willing 